Well, it's exciting to be in September. We're at the beginning of a new ministry year, and we're going to kick this off with a new uh, sermon series. If you received your email this week, uh, what I wrote to you was that this, we're going to do three sermons that really lay out the elders' vision for this year. These are our hopes, our prayers for the year ahead for this church. Uh, this summer, we've been praying all about, or we've been preaching about prayer, great prayers of the Bible. And, and today, as one-third of what we hope to see in this church as we look forward, is uh, a renewed and reinvigorated commitment as a church to prayer. Now, a couple of words as I introduce this. Even a chain-smoking doctor will tell you that it's not a good idea to smoke. Uh, and even uh, a dentist who peddles cotton candy on the, on the weekends, when you go to him or her, will tell you to floss. Likewise, as a pastor, I just have to tell you to pray. It doesn't mean that, that my prayer life is necessarily any better than any of yours. Uh, this is not something that, that I have perfected. In fact, I was encouraged this week. I've been reading this, this book by C.S. Lewis called Letters to Malcolm. And this is all about prayer. This is C.S. Lewis's last book. I highly recommend it to you. Some chapters are better than others. I don't agree with everything. There's, for example, a chapter on purgatory and praying for the dead that you might as well just skip over. But overall, it's a really good book. And I was really encouraged by his second to last chapter. And, and this is what he, he writes that, you know, having written all this, you might think that I'm just this great prayer warrior. And this chapter is all about where he sees himself falling short. And this quote in particular I love. He says, the truth is, I haven't any language weak enough to depict the weakness of my spiritual life. If I weakened it enough, it would cease to be language at all. Now, C.S. Lewis was a spiritual giant of the 20th century. And I don't think he is being tongue-in-cheek here. I think that the reality is we all fall short of the perfected spiritual life that will be ours when we're raised in glory. That doesn't mean, though, that we stop striving towards something. So today, the, the tone of the preaching that I, I, I pray to God and I hope that you will receive is one of... of inspiration. I pray at the outset that God through his word would inspire us to deeper levels of prayer because it just doesn't work to stand up here and tell you that you should pray more. Uh, for one, that, that kind of preaching would be filled with hypocrisy. But for two, it just isn't effective. So at the outset, please know the goal here is to commend us where we can be commended and to inspire us to go deeper where the Lord can take us. So we're going to take a look at four questions, and really the first three questions are all building toward the fourth question. And the fourth question is the ultimate question of this morning's time. So let me just give you these questions at the outset, then we will pray for us this morning, and then we'll look at them in turn. Number one, and we don't start with prayer, but we start with the question about evangelism. And the question is, are we taking any risks to preach or to share the gospel? 
any risks at all. And you'll see how this very quickly turns from evangelism to prayer. Because the second question is this. If, if not, are we asking God to embolden us so that we will take risks to preach the gospel? And that leads to a third question, which I think gets to the heart of the whole matter, which is, do we expect God to act if we are emboldened so that we will take risks to preach the gospel? See, at at the crux of it all, I wonder if the problem is that we don't really trust that God will do something awesome through us or through our church. And so, maybe we won't ask for it because we don't know if he'll do it. And if he doesn't do it, well then, what of our prayers? And we get ourselves into this, we cower into a corner, I think. At least let me speak for myself. Because we're afraid that what if God doesn't answer? What if the heavens are are like brass? And we go to him, but he doesn't do anything. And all of these questions lead to the question I really want to get to is, are we a praying church? Because the vision that the elders want to set before you for the year is that we are going to be a praying church. A praying church. Would that not be a glorious thing to be able to say when somebody says, tell me about your church. Well, we love the Word of God. We're in each other's lives. And we're a praying church. Uh, That's the goal for the year. that's, That's the culture that we want the Lord to develop in us. So let's pray to, those, that, to that end, and, and then we'll take a look at the Scriptures and see how we can go through these questions. Heavenly Father, we, we want to be a praying church. You, you've put this on the heart of the leadership of this church, and I pray that your Spirit would do the same for the members of this church, that, that a deep longing in us, in spite of whatever failures uh, we may feel in this category of spiritual living, that we would long to be a praying church, not just a praying person or a praying family or a praying people, but a praying church, a church that gathers to pray. And we, we just can't do this unless your Spirit enlightens us for the task. We confess to you at the outset that so often prayer is a drudgery and not a delight. Mere cold duty that we might oblige from time to time. But God, could you, would you, Make prayer a delight for us, this church. I know you can. I pray, do it. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask these things. Amen. So first question Are we taking any risks to preach the gospel? Any risks at all? We talked about this last week, and not everyone was here last week, but we went around the room and just said, you know, who have you shared 
the gospel with? Who have you shared your faith with? What opportunities have you had? And we had a few, and then over the week, a few people came and said, well, you know, I didn't say anything, but I had these couple of opportunities. And I don't doubt that it's happening, but I wonder, and I, 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 I maybe would ask that it could happen more. Uh, so this is the foundation point for our look at prayer. And, and so open your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 to 23 on this very point. And, and I'm reading all of these verses to make just one point. So it's not going to be a huge uh, exegetical tour through these verses. There's just one point I'll tell you at the beginning so that you know as we're reading through it what we're looking for is look at the risks that the early church was taking to share the gospel. And then if we just treat these verses as a mirror to look into and say, well, is that us? Well, I think we'll have to conclude, no, it's not. That's not meant to lead us to despair, but where we're going to go after this, what we're going to see is that what was fueling the early church to be able to take these kinds of risks, and the answer is prayer. So this is really just setting the table for what we really want to look at. Don't want to spend too much time here, but it sets the stage for us. Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 23. Look at the risks that the early church was taking and then reflecting on your own life, the life of this church, the corporate witness of this church. Are we taking these kinds of risks to share the gospel? Probably not. Okay. This is the word of God. Acts 4, 1-23. As they, that is Peter and John, were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came, that came forward was about 5,000. Just pause there. That's, that's staggering. Uh, Peter and John and the rest of the apostles in the early church, they were taking great risks, proclaiming the gospel to people, even though the most powerful people, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the, the Sanhedrin, the chief priests and his family were against them. At 5,000 people. This is after the 3,000 people of Pentecost. Within months, we've got a church of 8,000 people. Was it because they were better than us? No, it's because it was God's good pleasure to do that through them, through their risk taking. So they were arrested. Verse 5. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. When they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, 
whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. Pause there. So often, we say, well, I can't do that. I, I don't have the training. I don't have the education. I don't have the pedigree. Peter and John, common men, uneducated men, normal men like us. And that's what was so astonishing. So go back. Let's start again at verse 13. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. But they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For what notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot speak of what we have seen and heard. We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. When they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Did you notice the boldness and the risks that the early church was willing to take to share the gospel. They were common men, uneducated men, and yet what was known of them was that they had been with Jesus. And the good deeds that they had done in the name of Jesus could not be denied. That's all it takes. The people see in us that we've been with Jesus. The way we live our lives, is that just undeniable? that the good things that we have done are done in the name of Jesus Christ. Peter and John were preaching. They were healing. They were arrested. But then they were released. And they went and they reported this to their friends. Are we taking any risks like this to preach the gospel? What's the worst that could happen to us? What's the worst that could happen to you? you? You have that group that we prayed for earlier in the service. What's the worst that could happen to you if you shared the gospel? Ridicule? Embarrassment? 
Don't get invited to the next social function. Peter and John were arrested. Which leads us to our second question. If we lack the boldness. I'm not saying that we do. As I said, last week there were uh, uh, several stories about people in this church who have stepped out in faith and then through the week they trickled in more stories. So I'm not saying we never share our faith. I'm I'm not condemning us or rebuking us in any way, shape, or form. I don't doubt that we, in our own way, in our own time, share the gospel from time to time. Uh, but it's between you and the Lord if you could step out in greater faith and take greater risks. But, but none of us are taking risks to the point of being arrested is the point. That's the point. So the second question is, are we asking God to give us greater boldness? And not like sort of in a ritualistic way, oh God, please bolden me to preach the gospel and then never think of it again. But truly saying, God, I'm timid. I'm shy to share the gospel or or whatever. What's your hang-up? What's your obstacle? Do you take that thing before the Lord and just confess and say, help me with this. I, I need to overcome this. Would you please Remove the stumbling stone that stops my tongue by truly asking God to embolden us. Notice how the early church responded to the imprisonment and release of Peter and John. and We're going to look at verses 24 to 30. So remember that Peter and John went to their friends, said this is exactly what happened to us. And and so in essence what they're saying is this is a dangerous thing to go out there and to preach or to share the gospel or to do good deeds in the name of Jesus Christ. This is dangerous. Now look at how they responded, them and their friends. Verse 24, and when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea, And everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers who were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Psalm 2. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do what your hand and your plan have predestined to take place. Pause there in their prayer. What do we learn about their prayer right there? They go to God and say, God, you are sovereign. And so the dangers in our world that are presented to us when we go out and share our faith, they must be according to your plan. That that you have not sent us out into a circumstance that you're unaware of. In fact, they go further and they say, you're the sovereign Lord who predestined to crucify your son on the cross. So, so it's your will that doing things in the name of Jesus Christ will be dangerous. Put it into our context. Oh, we can complain about the world out there, can't we, in the church? Oh, the world is this and the world is that. Well, God knows all that. This is the context that the sovereign God of the universe has placed us Not to isolate ourselves away, but to go into that world to share the gospel. And it doesn't catch God off guard that our culture is opposed to the things that we love, cherish, and believe. 
It doesn't catch God by surprise that we might lose friends if we share our faith in Christ. God is not surprised that we might make sacrifices in the workplace or that we might have to be persecuted by family. That doesn't catch God by surprise. And that's what the, the early church prayed. God, you're sovereign. You know all these things. It's not up to us to change the circumstances or the context within which we do what we're called to do. Jesus himself came to die. So that's the first part of their prayer. What would it look like if our prayer life was not that the world would be changed without us, but that we would have the boldness to go into the world that is opposed to God and to His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be a witness for Him? That's different. Rather than complaining to God through prayer about the world, asking God to embolden us to be his ambassadors in the world. That's the first part of the prayer. The second part of the prayer. And now, verse 29, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. See, the, the danger even for the early church, and we forget this because they just seem so, so far removed from us. They seem you know, so much better than us. But the danger for them was to become afraid. They knew it. To stop preaching and teaching and sharing the gospel. They knew that. And so having recognized that God is sovereign, that this is the context in which the sovereign Lord of the universe had put them in, and recognizing that it's a dangerous world out there for them, an uncomfortable world for us, not so much dangerous, not yet, they said, so now, Lord, would you look upon the context that is out there for them, the threats, and grant us your servants boldness to continue to speak your word. Oh God, would you please help us to look past the discomfort, the ridicule, and the soft persecution so that we could be bold for Christ. We're fooling ourselves if we think that we can muster up boldness without prayer. And then verse 30 is really, really important. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Let's start with the last part. So make us bold so that we will go out and signs and wonders will be performed through us in the name of Jesus. And then, Lord, would you stretch out your hand to heal, to do mighty things that we cannot manufacture. So, so, so the early church says, okay, God, it, it's a big, bad world out there. Embolden us, and when we go forth, we are depending on you, and we're pleading with you to show up. 
Stretch out your hand while we, in all boldness, that you grant to us, go out to share the gospel. Show up. Do something. Do something awesome through us that we can't do without you. And and for me, I don't know about you, but for me, the greatest thing that I hope to see, and it might start as a trickle here, but I hope that the dam will break and it will become a flood, that we will see people that we never, ever, ever thought could come to faith because of our faithlessness. Not because of our brilliance in sharing the gospel, but because God stretches out His hand as He emboldens us to share, however inadequately, the gospel. And they come to faith. And we say, what? You're you're actually taking what I'm sharing with you? You want this? That's what I want to see. But if God wants to do more, all power to him. Whatever God wants to do, God do it. And that leads us into our third question. Do we expect God to act? I don't think we do. At least I don't. I don't often expect God to act. And I've been convicted about that. Even when we gather on a Sunday morning, I've been, the Holy Spirit has convicted me, will just expect more of me on a Sunday morning. And and when we go out into the world, expect more. Do you realize that the God uh, that we speak on behalf of is the one who said, let there be light, and behold, there was light? Out of nothing, this God created the universe? And let us not forget that we all once were enemies of God. What did God do to save us? Are we more savable than the people that we think are beyond the reach of God? No. No. But do we expect God to act if we are emboldened so that we will take risks to preach the gospel? Look what happened after they prayed this prayer. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. You know what we do with this verse normally? That was for them, not for us. That was then, not now. I just don't want to do that. I want us to pray along the same lines of the early church and then, after they had prayed, oh God, if you are willing, shake this place. I don't care. Shake Shake the foundations of the bricks and mortar. Shake us. If we have to sort through some uncomfortable expressions of the Holy Spirit, I would rather do that than just say, well, let's not expect anything from God. To be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now this is not like they were just saved. These people were indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But what the Bible teaches us is that although we are indwelt, there is a permanent dwelling of the Holy Spirit in us. We can squeeze Him down. We can quench His presence in us. He doesn't leave us. But we can quench Him. And from time to time, God fills us with a manifestation of the power 
of the Holy Spirit. And things start to happen that we cannot manufacture. It's not about us getting ourselves psychologically into a place. That's where the abuses come, right? That's where all of the hyper-charismatic stuff is rubbish and counterfeit and not welcome here. But if God wants to shake us and fill us and do something amazing in and through this place, why would we stop Him? Come, Holy Spirit, and fill us. He's indwelling us, so fill us. Remind us that You're here. Now these are scary prayers to pray because what if He does? What if He does? But I want Him to. Do you want Him to? Like, come! We're a small church, but we can be mighty in the hand of God. Let's start praying for it. Which brings us to our fourth question. This is what everything's driving toward. Are we a praying church? Like, everything I've said so far, is this, is, does this, if you say, if, if I was to hand this up in front of you, would this categorize who we are? I don't think so. I just don't think so. Now, I believe that we are a praying people. I'm not saying we're not a praying people. I, I, I know that uh, pr- uh, from firsthand knowledge, m- most of you pray. Maybe all of you pray. Maybe all of you pray regularly. I can't say that with 100% conviction. But I know most of us pray every day. I know there's a real effort for us to pray with our families. This is good. Let's, I commend you for that. And I commend us. But that's not the same thing as being a praying church. There's something about the church gathered together to pray. I don't know that we're a praying church. I wonder if we don't see God stretching out His hand to heal and perform signs of wonders through the name of His holy servant Jesus through our emboldened witness because we're not asking Him to. We might be afraid to. Wait, is that theologically acceptable to ask God to do such a great thing? Well, that's, that's academic questioning. There's that's no place in a life of faith. God, you want to do something, do it. Do it. Let it not be counterfeit. Let us not invent something. But God, your sovereign outpouring of power, do it. That's different. So yes, if God begins to do this, we have to sort through, is this real or counterfeit? Well, let's sort through it. As it happens. Not theoretically, like, well, if this happened, what would you do? No, if it happens, well then, let's sort through it as it's happening in practice. Because we've been asking God for it. God, do it! Not demanding, but pleading. Do it for us, please. Now, please do not misunderstand me. I am not saying that the only way that this will be obvious is if some great manifestation of the Holy Spirit happens. In fact, what I would rather see is a a rekindled desire for the Word of God in each of our lives. What I would rather see is 
strained relationships among friends and family members and healed marriages. Now, that's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that I want to see. But if God wants to fill us up and overflow, that's up to Him, not up to me. But let us not digress into a conversation about healings, signs, and wonders. If God wants to heal one of us of chronic back problems or great cancer, am I going to stop him? But I don't want to digress into a conversation about that. That's not what this is about. I'm not, I'm not saying let's go there. That's up to God. I'm not claiming to know what God would do if he answered our prayers. I'm not actually inviting us to ask for anything specific. But let's get past the theorizing and get to the asking and the believing that God is alive. There is a God who sits on the throne in heaven and He is mighty and He is powerful and He is not aloof. He knows us by name. He is taking in our worship service even now and through me I pray He's preaching. So why in our practice would He be this aloof God who will not stretch out His hand? And this is where it, the crux of it all, I guess, when it comes down to me, this is where God has brought me, and I, I hope he'll bring you. I strongly believe, and there aren't words that can make this strong enough, I am of deep, bone-shaking conviction that if we together as a church seek God in prayer, and ask him to show up in ways that he has not yet shown up, he will. And that's as far as I've taken it. I don't know after that. But I do know that I want, and the elders want, and I hope you will want, this church to grow under the mighty outstretched hand of God. Unless we ask God to do it, that's not going to happen. It's a big bad world out there, but God is sovereign. He knows the context in which he has placed us. And so our part is not to change the world, but to ask God to change us so that we can be his ambassadors in that world, sharing the gospel with all boldness in culturally appropriate ways. And then expecting that God will stretch out his hand to perform great healing, signs, and wonders, whatever those may be. For this reason, and all of these reasons, I and the elders desire to lead. We desire to lead this church in prayer so that this time next year, every one of us could say with a straight face that this is a praying church a praying church I want to give you I don't know I think seven ways that we've discussed and decided to do this this is how we're going to lead you to do this 
First, we want to commend and ask you to continue in your daily personal and family prayer. Keep praying individually. Keep praying in your families. And I might ask you to add one element to this if you don't already do it. If you are having lunch with a fellow believer, a brother or sister in Christ, or, or if you are at the park, or if you go to Canada's Wonderland, or if you are carpooling, or whatever you're doing and you're with another believer, find a moment. It doesn't need to be a long moment, but a moment to say, okay, let's pray. And it does, it's whatever is appropriate in the time to pray about, to get in the habit, ah, where two or three are gathered, let's pray. I know that's about church discipline, but the principle follows. Where there are two or three brothers or sisters in Christ, there is the Lord with them, pray. And more often than not, could you add this to your prayers, both personally and in your family, and also when you're praying with friends and loved ones who are also believers under the name of Christ, pray that God would stretch out his mighty hand in and through this church? So that's the first thing. Second thing, elder prayer. Uh, Your elders, we pray for you. We pray for you when we're together. We especially pray for those who are in need of prayer. But the only way that we know that you're in need of prayer is whether or not we've been invited into your life for a particular reason or you write it down. So this will be the last week for these friendship pads. We're going to have a box where you can at any time drop prayer requests into it. That box is being made by Wayne uh, and it'll be at the back or the side of the church September 16th. You can email us. You can phone us. But you need to make your prayer requests known. Third, pre-service prayer. Uh, We had a meeting this week between Peter, Scott, or it's not Scott, Blair Hansen and myself. So steward of AV, steward of worship, and myself. We're going to have our sound check and our, our music practice done by 9.30. From 9.30 to 10, this sanctuary is a place of prayer. At, at 9.40, you're going to see everyone who's involved in any capacity in the worship service, including our PowerPoint person, our AV person, over there praying that God would do something in and through us in the service, preparing our hearts for this. You can stay out in the, in the hallway and, and visit. That is a spiritual act itself. But you could also come in and pray. And you can grab someone in the hallway and come in and pray. And you can move the chairs. You can cluster up into groups of two or three or five. Or you could pray alone. You could prepare yourself and help others to be prepared for worship. That's pre-service prayer. In-service prayer, we'll continue to pray. Prayer is woven through. And when we're singing hymns and songs, that's prayer put to music. We'll continue to pray for all people. Post-service prayer. The elders have decided that after every worship service, we are going to be available, maybe not all of us every week, but at least one of us and our spouses, in case you would rather pray with a woman, will be available at the front to come forward to pray. Now, let me make a request of you. you don't ha- your, your marriage doesn't have to be on the brink of tatters before you come forward. You don't need to be struggling with a, a severe gambling addiction. Uh, you, you don't have to have some massive health or financial crisis to come forward. 
What I hope to see is that more often than not, most of us would come forward and if all three elders are busy praying with someone else, pair off and I hope that we would even just pray for this church and pray for our boldness, that that, that would be a time that we as a church are setting aside for prayer. It doesn't always need to be this high needs prayer. And don't worry, if you come forward, it doesn't mean that you're struggling with a deep pornography addiction. I don't want anyone to think that when somebody comes forward. Now, if any of those things that I said are true of you, come forward and you want prayer for them, that's a great prayer request, but that need not be the reason you come forward. And we're going to start that today. So would you even decide in your heart now that you're going to come forward and you're just going to pray? Pray for me, pray for Blair, pray for Glenn, pray for the church, pray for our witness, pray for your unsaved loved ones. Just, there's so many things that we could pray for. Post-service prayer, a time to pray together. And then opportunities for other corporate prayer. Every Wednesday night we're going to be meeting uh, here as a church, different groups at different times. There will be an element of prayer each one of those nights. But we're going to have specific prayer meetings Please put it on your calendar and come. December 5th, 7 to 8. December 12th, 7 to 8. March 6th, 7 to 8. May 15th, 7 to 8. And if you feel that those four are too few, well then let's have everyone there so we say, well next year we better do more. The first week of the year, first full week from July, or sorry, January 7th to 11th, we're going to have a week of prayer. 7 to 8 every night, Monday to Friday, with a membership meeting on the Wednesday to start the new year. Come and pray for this church, for all manner of things. Week of prayer, January 7th, January 8th, January 10th, and January 11th, and a membership meeting on the 9th. And finally, integrated prayer. Every time South Shore is gathered for whatever reason, a planning meeting, you better pray. A potluck, let's pray. A corn roast at the clinks, let's take five minutes to gather together to pray so that we are truly a praying church. These are the seven ways that we want to lead this church in prayer. We make no illusions about this. We know that there will always be a part to prayer that is a drudgery. But that's a great place to start in your prayer life. Oh God, would it be less drudgery and more delight? Help us to desire to do the very thing that we know we ought to do. To pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I know that our prayers are as sweet incense. But I also know that I so very rarely want to offer that incense on your altar. Help me, help the elders to lead in prayer by giving us a deeper desire to pray. And then help this church to desire more of prayer and to expect more of you.
I pray that you would do things in and through us that we cannot predict or even ask for, for your glory. Build up this church. In Jesus' name, amen.